anything in life that's worthy is going to come with risk. Having differences of opinions and having different viewpoints will only make your company better. So you're looking for things where the conventional wisdom is wrong. That's sort of the holy grail. The SME Empowered Podcast. Dream big, act bigger. So three, two, one, and we're live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SME Empower Podcast. I am your host, Max Gituba, and I'd like to officially welcome Moses Mukundi, a multi-time founder and current CEO of Eden Care, where he's building the future of insurance by operating at the intersection of technology, data science, and healthcare. So welcome to the show. We are very happy to have you. Thanks, Max. Excited to be here. Uh, fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So uh, do you mind giving us a little bit of an intro into who Moses is and how you got where you are today? Yeah, great. Uh, so my name is Moses. I, I am Kenyan and I'm currently running a digital health insurance startup here in Rwanda, soon expanding to Kenya. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, how I got here? Um, hmm. It's a, it's a story of uh, COVID, a lot of work doing uh, Excel work uh, at my previous jobs, and a stroke of luck. Um, so I dropped out of business school in the middle of COVID to come and start Eden Care. And part of the reason why I made that decision was very quickly understood the paradigm shifts that COVID was going to present for any digital business, and especially in industries that had been previously been untouched by uh, technology. And for me, making the jump was 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 pretty easy. I think I didn't have a two two thoughts about it. Um, but I'd also spent a lot of time in the insurance and healthcare space, both in investment banking and private equity, that provided a basis for me to form a thesis that has ended up becoming Eden Care, and that's what uh, we're running. And it was a stroke of luck. I think um, getting a lot of exposure to insurance, which is which is a very niche industry very technical and getting an, an opportunity to see the inner workings all the way from a CEO's desk to a claims assessor's desk. I, I think there was a bit of luck uh, that played out uh, out there. And those three things have combined to getting me where I am with Eden Care. Wow, that's a really fascinating story. So uh, do you mind sharing uh, uh, sharing with us the vision behind Eden Care, the problem you are solving and the market opportunity that you have identified? Yes. Uh, how I think about the big problem that we're solving, it's, it's through a couple of statistics. About 15 million Africans slip into poverty every year due to a large medical bill, yet, health insurance penetration, which is the best solution for the problem that I've just spoken about, sits at about 0.2%, which is 10 times lower than emerging market peers. The other big problem that we see is the 
industry and the insurance value chain has stayed the same for a very long time. Um, the companies that we're competing with are hundreds of years old, uh, which in Africa, that is pretty rare to see. Yet, these companies have been locked into a distribution, a product development, uh, and just a customer experience structure that was essentially built in the 1960s and has stayed the same. So there is an opportunity for introduction of new products, new way of thinking, a new perspective in insurance. Um, and that's, that's, that's where Eden Care is, is sort of pushing the needle on that. And the, that thing which um, is really driving the impetus for Eden Care has been in just the last three years, there's been a significant shift towards more digital transactions on the continent. Companies that we partner with have digitized. So if we had tried to do this five years ago, for example, not that many hospitals had electronic health record system. Now we're starting to push to nearly 90% of hospitals with electronic health record systems. And that provides a basis for us to build a digital insurance on top. Penetration of smartphones has really scaled up in the last five years. And more and more digital transactions have allowed people to trust that I can conclude an entire contract digitally and know that it's valid, right? So these three factors of a big, big problem, massive changes in macro trends on the African continent have come together to sort of provide a, a, a perfect opportunity for Eden Care to build what we're building. But just going back to the vision of what we're building, the intention is actually to build uh, a financial services uh, giant that has that covers multiple financial needs for our members. So right now we're starting off in a very narrow field of uh, health insurance. The data that we're collecting from that allows us to build a life insurance business with the same distribution models. Uh, additionally, we can layer general insurance on top of that, think cars, think fire, think water um, insurance for our members. But additional to that, there's also items such as asset management. Um, insurance companies have some of the largest asset management groups inside just because of the amount of capital they sit on. And we'd like to open source that to our members. So as you can see, this is a fast layer towards building uh, sort of an integrated financial services company that provides very relevant, very delightful customer experience and relevant products to our members going forward. Wow, um, I like that. Um, it's a very Jeff Bezos way to approach business, um, you know, having that 10 year, 20 year plan. And, and I think that that's, um, that's an amazing um, approach. So um, just following up on that, um, you said that, you know, there's a lot of um, incumbents in this um, industry, you know, the people who are entrenched, um, they have, you know, the distribution at this point. Um, and, you know, you're definitely building with it in a completely different uh, environment, a different situation. And um, that definitely comes with challenges. So as you 
are building uh, this company, what what are some of these challenges that you're facing? And uh, could you maybe share why it's so difficult to start a health insurance tech company? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I probably have to only get to the top three because there are so many problems to deal with. <laughs> maybe the top three, yes. Uh, like, I, I'd say... One, there's just the cost of getting in as an underwriter, right? You have to go through a licensing process. You have to pay pretty steep licensing cost. You know, if you think of a cost of an insurance license in Kenya, it's at about $6 million, right? So if you're trying to start a startup and thinking of raising a pre-seed round, uh, you know, $6 million tends to be very unheard of as, uh, as sort of the scale at that level, which means then a lot of companies that would like to get into the uh, health insurance as an underwriter, they're pretty limited in, in terms of the capital required, the technical skill sets required um, to get a license through a licensing process. So it took us over a year and a half to go through our licensing process. Right? So you need also need investors who are pretty patient to allow you to go through that process. So that's, that's just starting off. That's, that's one big problem. Right? The other big issue with uh, healthcare generally, not just health insurance, is just the number of stakeholders involved, the gravity of health itself, and uh, the coordination of those stakeholders. So if you think of, a, of an insurance company, you're sitting in the middle of almost a four-sided uh, marketplace. You have to go in and bring service providers and sufficient service providers before you can sign your first customer because that's the first thing customers are going to ask for. You have to go and convince employers to buy insurance for their employees and uh, trust that you as a new player in the market, you're gonna provide quality service. You then have to provide coverage and support to employees and their dependents and covering them in multiple locations with multiple tech uh, awareness and ability to cover these members effortlessly when they go to the, to the hospital you have to then also work with ecosystem partners around you, right? Other insurance companies, um, uh, places such as um, wellness centers to provide a, a full-on solution for your members. And you have to coordinate all of this to be able to provide a sustained quality service. So as opposed to what you typically see with majority of the startups where there's only one large stakeholder, here you're starting to deal with about four stakeholders and you have to build technology, you have to build processes to support all of them, right? Just beyond just getting, getting started, that's, that's one of the biggest challenge uh, to, to, you have to get over to build sort of a well-functioning health insurance company. And the third one is the technical skill sets needed. You know, you're dealing with people's money. So risk, compliance, 
big component of what you're building, data and analytics and actuarial services, because insurance companies are glorified data companies, right? They, they make a lot of their decisions based on the data, right? So those are skill sets that are still not as widely available on the continent, which makes it even more difficult. If you need actuarial skill sets, they're not in actuaries in, in, in Kigali. Uh, they're very few. If you need actuaries, you have to start looking towards Kenya, towards South Africa to bring in those skill sets, right? So those big issues do create uh, sort of a high barrier of entry and high barrier of sustaining the business. But I think if you, if you can overcome those issues, there are massive opportunities in the insurance industry. Wow, that's um, that's just an incredible breakdown of just a few of the difficulties. I think uh, I was one of the victims of um, ignorance, as I shared before. I really was interested in this space, and um, you know, I discovered very quickly that as a solo founder, just trying to get my feet up, it would be extremely difficult to even you know dare maneuver into that space. But I'm glad to hear that you're thriving and um, continuing to tackle this huge problem. So just to follow up on that, um, the obvious approach, if you ask me to everything that you just said, and of course, this is as an ignorant person, but the obvious thing uh, for someone in your position would probably have been to create some sort of solution for insurance companies and then um, you know, integrate it into those systems and um, kind of become a B2B with the insurance companies. But for you, you actually thought about rebuilding the entire stack, becoming the, an underwriter, dealing with the regulation, and then coming in with all your knowledge on technology, on data, and essentially reinventing the entire industry. So why did you feel it necessary to rebuild that stack um, instead of just, you know, being a service provider essentially for other insurance companies? Which was yeah, my approach, sure. by the way. That was my naive <laughs> approach when I, I, I tried to do it. But yeah. there, There's a push and pull reason why we ended up building sort of a full stack underwriter. One, if you look at it consistently when surveys have been ran on why people are not buying insurance, three main reasons always rise to the top. It's expensive, the products are irrelevant, and the customer experience is terrible. Well, you can try and provide additional tech support to an insurance company, to one of the incumbents, it needs a very different tech stack mindset and rethinking how to capture and analyze data for you to actually bend the cost curve and improve customer experience or get to a point where you're introducing regular products that served, underserved, or unserved segments of the market. So when we looked at existing players, what we saw was very rigid, very risk averse, very outdated 
legacy systems that no one wanted to touch because someone who built it is no longer no longer running. They got acquired and the, and the system that they were selling in the market got mothballed. So you find situations where incumbents are not in a good place to actually generate the value that a lot of startups would like to provide to these insurance companies. And there's just a lot of inertia in-house uh, to make decisions around new technology uh, and partnerships. So for me, those two things were key in deciding to build our own full stack uh, insurance company. Wow, that's, um, that's a really interesting way to approach it. And, uh, and I think it, it brings up um, very interesting points. Um, so just to follow up on that, um, you know, most people would see that red tape uh, and essentially just back off, you know. Uh, but you decided to stick it out, and I think that's commendable. So uh, what motivates you as a founder through, you know, this kind of difficult thing that you're building? Like, what keeps you motivated? Having a very clear goal, um, an overall strategy to get there. And I enjoy the challenge, right? Uh I, I think I've always enjoyed building things and getting them to market and iterating that product, seeing customers using it and taking on a, taking on a big challenge. And those things probably drive me more than anything else. Uh, I could have, I could have gone to wall street and be fine right after business school, uh, but I chose to come back on the continent, uh, get a startup going because that provided more excitement to my life, taking on a big challenge and, and building something that will outlast me. That was more exciting. That is more motivating to my life than anything else. That's, um, that's amazing. I think that um, I have, I've been studying uh, Y Combinator's um, uh founder paul graham and he said this thing about if you if you're the kind of person who um kind of has fun at work or rather you know is sort of interested and intrigued by challenges then you're definitely a force to be reckoned with as you you know keep building companies and i applaud you for that so um just to follow up on that um you're definitely someone who has a very clear vision of the products that you build. Um, and the last time we spoke and also during this episode, you've just talked about the importance of having a thesis about a space before you invest your time in it. So do you mind sharing with us how you approach defining a thesis for a product in any, any given industry that has interested you and tell us what underlying characteristics because you know you're also multi-time founder so you've done this quite a number of times so are there any sort of um underlying characteristics or themes that connect and tell you that this um is a good opportunity to go for yeah uh i think <laughs> that's actually a, a pretty interesting question I, i've never thought about it so this was going to be 
a live answer as I think about this. Um, mm -hmm. So if I go back, uh, when right before leaving school to uh, to start Eden Care, I wrote up I wrote a paper on the ten fundamentals that I think are going to define healthcare in Africa for the next decades. And for me, that was my declaration of my thesis around healthcare and financial services and where that is going to go to evolve towards on the African continent. So how did I get there? That's probably the best way to, to answer this question. I think one, I'd spent a lot of time inside insurance companies and healthcare companies. And I had had an opportunity to speak to decision makers, operators in this sector for, for a while. And over time, you start to notice specific trends that interest you, right? That pick your interest is like, okay, the industry is shifting from point X to point Y. It's not a point Y yet, but you're starting to see factors that are going to drive permanence of that transition to point Y. And then being able to articulate those so that they can get challenged or you can have a conversation with, uh, with someone and your thinking, your thesis can get challenged, right? So if I think about the process, it was exactly that. It was conversations, uh, intuition, con uh, and a bit of research came together to form a thesis, had lots of conversations around, hey, this is my thesis uh, about X, getting challenged, iterating that thesis. So by the time I'd sort of solidified, this is a strategy, what that looks like, there was a lot of thought that had got into, into, uh, into that thesis. There was credible research and there was an understanding of the sector enough to define trends that are going to transform or define that industry for the next 30 years or so. So that's that that was my approach and 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 that's 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 how I have done it before and that's how I ended up building the business for Eden Care. So if anyone is, is like curious, they can find uh, that article on my LinkedIn. Yeah, no, that's a, that's an important article um, that I do suggest that everyone reads because I will definitely read that myself. Um, and yeah, so thanks for sharing that. So we know on this podcast we have talked about risk before, and um, you know you've just talked about how you identify an opportunity, how you form your thesis. And uh, I remember at some point we um, on this podcast, we were talking to another founder who was explaining that, you know, most people kind of approach risk in a different way, right? Um, founders really learn how to, um, how to take risks better, but most people really learn how to manage risk. So what's your opinion on risk and how to um, navigate that as a founder? 
one, I think being a founder is, is all about knowing risk or identifying precursors to risk that you don't know and figuring out what to do about those risks. So you have a 360 view of the business or you have a pretty good clear vision of what you're trying to build and whether it's fundraising or launching a new product, expanding to a new country, it's a process of understanding what's acceptable risk, what risk can be managed, what risk cannot be managed, and if it happens, it will kill the business, and determining, okay, if it's a company killer, how do I get it out of the way so that the less material risk can be dealt with in the organization, right? So I think it's a, it's a, it's a factor of stratifying the risks. Is it a company killer? If it is, you put all your efforts and attention into getting that out of the way. If it's a minor risk that won't kill the business, might have material impact, that gets a second priority. Anything else? Yeah, that's that's that can always be managed as you go. And it's also a factor of being a startup. Mm. You're a burning bush of risk, right? Mm. <laughs> it's it's figuring out if you which which of the embers, if you don't extinguish, they're gonna kill the they're gonna kill the tree. And which ones, if they are left burning, they're gonna burn out by themselves and even pour ash that is going to help the company grow. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an analogy for just prioritizing the risk and figuring out where to put your, your priorities and attention towards. Yeah, so that's an interesting take and, uh, and thanks for sharing that. It definitely has given me a lot to think about. So um, this is uh, actually your second startup, right? Um, in your... 20s, uh, you built Agoras, which is, you know, an agri-tech company, uh, which you did manage to exit out of successfully and sell it. Uh, so could you share what the company was, your experience of building it in your 20s, especially, and the feeling of letting go of something you had just dedicated years to? Uh <laughs> I, I, I think I laugh because I, I wonder what young Moses was smoking, <laughs> thinking that he could build a company <laughs> at such a young age. Um, essentially, the approach was to build an operating system for large farms, right, to make them a lot more efficient and uh, bring data into the production for those large farms. And, and again, I'll go back to having a framework to work towards. Because what I've found with startups, it's it's always chaos. And if you don't have, if you haven't anchored a point to which you're going towards, you'll get lost in the eddies of, of the chaos. And, and it becomes very difficult to pull yourself out. But if you've already mapped out this is a strategy, this is where we're getting towards, even in the middle of the chaos, you're still able to 
allocate, it might not be as much time, it's probably 10, 20% of your time towards pushing the organization towards the final goal, right? And, and that, that was emblematic of the first startup that I had, uh, same thing with, with Eden Care, right? Every time, every time customers come on board, it tends to be very chaotic because then processes, systems, customers have a, have a knack to breaking everything. But, and that causes a lot of chaos to organizations. But having that clarity of vision of saying, hey, this might be chaotic now, but this is where we're going to it has proven to be very, very useful uh, when I've run both startups. Wow, that's um, that's a great analogy. I think you're a man of a lot of analogies, which I like a lot. Uh, it helps you um, definitely paint a picture, and, and I can see why you are the CEO. You exited your company. I'm sure that uh, it was a great success um, for you and your team. Um, and you know, I think that's really um, commendable as a fellow African founder, and. Um, I think that seeing what uh, maybe bigger companies willing to pay for in a business can help guide people on developing true value in their ventures. So uh, my hypothesis of, at this moment is that the core value of any one business could be the tech infrastructure or their brand, uh, which is also very hard to build, distribution, distribution I think is king. Um, what are what's your opinion on that um on what really defines the value of a business when you strip it down well i guess i guess that evolves right uh depending on the on the sector the industry you're in but there there are certain industries where the brand matters more than even the quality of the product and then you have sectors where the brand is based on the quality of the product. Uh, but I think at the core, at the core of a lot of these things, it's a, it's a, it's a well, especially for B2C customers, it's probably the brand, whether it's that brand is built on the quality of the product or the brand is built around hype and marketing, uh, I think that's that's really an important core component of that. But then on the other side, you have B2B companies that are very successful, but no one knows about them. Yeah. Because they provide services or products into other businesses. Um, hence the reason I, I you can see I, I think in my head I'm I'm thinking. Yeah, probably if you're if you're customer facing, brand is probably the most important thing. If you're business facing, the quality of the product uh, is probably really really important. Um, unless you're trying to build a PLG growth uh, product led growth company, where brand with target customers gets you into businesses so that's that's sort of where i'm at with that um yeah trying to think about the the differences between a direct-to-consumer uh versus a b2b business well that's um that's an interesting take um 
I recently read uh, Zero to One by Peter Thiel. He was considering some of these ideas and um, he said that something about distribution is also something that's really important just because you can have the best product, but if you don't think about distribution and sales and stuff, you know, you can't really scale it. You can't um, really um, make the business work. You, distribution is just as important as um, products. So I, it was just eye-opening to me um, in some ways. I don't know how you feel about that, but just following up on that, um, uh, what do you think is the importance of a moat? Uh, this concept of a moat, I don't know if you've heard about it, but Warren Buffett's most successful investor of all time, he says that successful businesses should aim to have a moat. Um, they should uh, have a sustainable advantage over the competitors over time. And uh, Elon, who you know is also one of the most successful entrepreneurs of our generation, says um, or said uh, famously that he does not like the idea of a moat. Um, that for him, the progress or speed of innovation is what really truly defines that competitive advantage. So I don't know, do you have an opinion on if a moat is important or not, um, or any insights into that? Well, I guess I would see both sides of, of the table here. Uh, I think building a sustainable business requires you to have a competitive advantage that makes it difficult for anyone else to catch up with you. However, technology is breaking down that barriers. Uh, and I think probably the best example of this, it's Google for a very long time had an unassailable lead, but there have been concerns now that um, AI is going to change that competitive advantage that they had before. The fact that there's a, even a thought around that competitive advantage that Google had being challenged, it's, 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 it's pretty shocking, right? Google has been the go-to and the most dominant player um, when it comes to search and advertising. But as technology has changed, that uh, competitive advantage has is getting eroded, right? So I think there are two ways to look at to look at it. I think for you to build a business of scale, you need to have competitive advantage. For you to build a business that stays for three hundred years, I think you have to build a business that adapts to change. Uh, because technology is going to come and it's going to erase your competitive advantage uh, and make uh, yeah and make it easier for some of well-funded challengers to come and challenge your position. So I say again, I think to build a large enough business, you need to have a competitive advantage. To build a multi-generational business, that that competitive advantage needs to evolve. Okay, that's um that's a very insightful take on that. Um and yeah, so you know, I think uh, speaking for Google, uh, Mike Tyson famously said that everyone has a plan until you get punched in the face. So 
maybe that's a little bit of 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 what Google might be going through right now. But you know, the as I think there was a, a message that leaked from Google that um, claimed that you know both Google and Microsoft don't really have um, a competitive advantage yet. So who knows how AI is going to is going to affect everything? So just uh, to follow up on that, what do you think um, about this entire AI rave and uh, the development of AI? And do you think that AI is something that is important in the development of the company you you're building? Yeah. I, I think data is going to be increasingly important and analytics, AI is going to table boost sort of the productivity based on the database, uh, based on the data that has already been collected and you know, the world is now generating reams and reams of, of data. I think in the insurance space, AI is going to be really transformative. I think I've already said this in this podcast a bit earlier that insurance companies are glorified data science companies. That's how you determine fraud, waste and abuse. That's how you determine new products, opportunities for new products. That's how you underwrite your product. And insurance companies sit on this massive database of health data, of um, wellness data for employees, for their members, for their dependents, and being able to make constructive use of that data will require AI to convert that into useful analytics that, that can lower fraud, for example that can identify segments that are not well served, that can help underwrite uh, businesses automatically. So insurance space is one of those industries that is going to be really, really transformed by AI. But a prerequisite of that is having the right infrastructure to bring in the right data, to build analytics on top of that and to run AI on top of uh, of all that infrastructure for it to be useful for the industry. And that's one of those things that we're pretty excited uh, at, at Eden Care to work towards. So I think we've built up the infrastructure that is giving us the right data, working on analytics to help us you know, segment markets, better underwrite, determine which distribution channels are working for us, and then our intention is to get to a point where you know, 99%, 90% of our processes are automated. I think to get us to that frontier, AI is gonna be a very helpful tool to get us there. Well, that's, um, that puts um, in perspective what you guys are building a little bit more. And I think that it's, it's a really amazing strategy so um, on this podcast, we have a traditional last question, which is uh, what world would you like to create through your entrepreneurial endeavors? A healthy, happy world. I would hope that Eden K is going to take a bite out of those 15 million Africans who 
sleep into poverty every year due to large medical bills, making health insurance easy, accessible, and affordable gets us there. It means economic empowerment of SMEs in this world. So if a member of the family falls sick, you don't have to sell the only asset that you have to be able to pay for their medical bills. It is reducing the impact on women and girls because that, that when when the when the family income goes down, women and girls tend to be the first victims of uh, being told to leave school, being told to go off work. Right. So while we're building a business that has a has a profit mindset, there's a very large social impact that we'd like to bring to the world. And a healthy, happy Africa is the goal. Wow, that's a, that's an incredible mission and worldview. Of course, on this podcast, to be uh, in complete agreement, um, our own philosophy um, in our larger platform, which is called the Impactful Capitalist. So Impactful Capitalists are people we're aiming to create more wealth uh, for themselves, for the world, for the community. And I think a healthier and happier world definitely um, ties into exactly what we're trying to do here. So uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And uh, I wish you all the best as you make a larger and larger impact and uh, keep growing um, with your company. Thanks, 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 Marks, And all the best with the podcast. All the best as well. Hello, everyone, and thank you for listening to this episode of the SME Empower podcast with Moses. I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I think that Moses is definitely a visionary entrepreneur and someone who's destined for even greater things. And I hope that you are just as inspired and challenged on your own personal mission journey as I was. Uh, yeah, so I'd just like to remind you to share this episode if you enjoyed it. Reach out on any of our social media platforms and get ready for more great, great episodes from our podcast. In the coming weeks, we will be unleashing a new format that we will be experimenting with for a while, where I will read the world's greatest um, business books and essentially distill them into key actionable takeaways for you. And I certainly hope you will enjoy that. Um, Yeah, so let me know your opinion on that. Let me know um, if that's something you're interested in, if you're excited for it. And until next time, I wish you a great week.